All right, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Eric's going to be coming back in a little bit, so. Going to do things a little bit different tonight. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7 tonight. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Before I read the passage tonight, let me set it up a little bit, because in some ways it's the same thing we've heard from John throughout this letter. The stories are told that as John got older, that he literally could not walk, and that they would carry the aged apostle into the house churches where he would, in a very frail but yet very strong voice, say these words, Beloved, let us love one another. And people were like, John, that's all you ever talk about. In fact, you read a book like First John, you go, John, that, that's all you ever talk about is love. And John's response was, is there anything else? With those words, follow along as I read what John writes in 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. By this, the love of God is revealed in us that God has sent His one and only Son into the world so that we may live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we reside in God and He in us and that He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God resides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has in us. God is love and the one who resides in love resides in God and God resides in him. Wow. Four things I want us to see tonight from what John wrote. First of all, who God is. Who God is. That, that's, that's where John starts in this passage, once again, about love. He reminds us who God is. And in that, he is reminding us that love is defined by God himself. Now, this is not the only time where John has talked to us about the character of God. Earlier on, he told us God is light in 1 John chapter 1. Here he's telling us that God is love, but he's telling us that because he wants us to use God as the barometer or standard of what love is. Because even in our society, we use love so flippantly and so loosely to describe so many things. I mean, I mean, I do it too. I mean, I'll say things like, I love pizza. <laughs> or, uh, you know, 
I love this or I love that. And, and I get what we're saying when we say that. But, but John wants us to understand love as defined by God. So that's why in verse 7, he starts out, first of all, with the word beloved. Now, in my translation, and you know, I love the Net Bible, but in, in my Bible, it starts out dear friends, but really it's, it's beloved. And I think at least the New American Standard translation starts out that way, beloved. And the reason that's, to me, a better translation is because, again, we've talked about this before, folks, in the mind that I'm not going to truly love others and, and lay down my life for them if I'm not feeling loved. I've got to first receive and accept God's love for me and allow His love to totally fill me up to the point where my love for others is simply living out of the overflow of God pouring His love into my heart. And that's why I think John starts out, first of all, by reminding us how loved we are. And then from that says, let us love one another because love is from God. God's the one who came up with this whole concept of love. Therefore, he's the one that really defines what love is. Now, hang in there with me. This is really cool. Notice in the next part of verse 7. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God. It's really cool that that Greek word there, fathered or born of God, can speak about the fact that the reason we should love if we are born again Christians and we have been born from above and we are in God's family is because then we reflect the nature of our spiritual parents. And our spiritual parents are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are love. In fact, love is from them. Therefore, if I claim to be a child of God, then I should in some way have God's DNA in me. And I should be reflecting His nature from my own life. That's why he goes on in verse 8 to say, the person who does not love doesn't really know God. Not in an experiential way. Because if you and I really knew God and knew what He was all about and, and, and knew what He was, love would be a priority of our life because we would understand it's a priority with Him. In fact, it's how it's one of the ways He defines Himself to us even as human beings. That's why He goes on at the end of verse 8 to say, because God is love. We are called to love if we're related to God so that we can express his nature. But again, this is who God is and therefore he's got to define what love is. So keep your finger there in 1 John and go back to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Some of you already know where I'm going because you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is called the love chapter. And there's no better place in the Bible for anybody to go and truly see how God defines love. If I want to really know what love is and, and what's, what's the characteristics of love, 
I got to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I got to read that passage, and I've got to study that passage. Now, for our sake tonight, we're not doing a study of 1 Corinthians, so I'm just going to read it to us tonight. But notice, first of all, he starts out again by talking about the importance of love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything I own, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I receive no benefit. Here's the character of love. You and I want to know what barometer we use to define how good of a lover we are. Here it is, beginning at verse 4. Love is patient. Why is love patient? Because God is patient. God is love. Love is kind because God is kind. See, God defines what love is. It is not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. It is not rude. It is not self-serving. It is not easily angered or resentful. It is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But if there are prophecies, they will be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect comes, the partial will be set aside. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I set aside childish ways. Can I... Just want to stop there because in the context of love, that's a really cool picture that all of us can relate to. Because all of us understand that babies and children, it's all about them, right? They are literally the center of the universe. And, and that's part of, of being a child. That's part of a characteristic of, of That's why children don't naturally like to share their toys and, and, and do things unselfishly. Because as a child, there's that, it's all about me. And yet, if I allow God to grow me up into spiritual adulthood, hopefully I don't look at things the way I did when I was a child. Hopefully it's not about me anymore. It's about others. It's about loving as God loved. So then Paul writes, verse 12, For now we see in a mirror indirectly. We don't see it all on this side of eternity, on this side of heaven. But then when we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face, oh my. That's why he says, now I know in part. Then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Folks, John starts out who God is. And he brings us back to this is who God is. This is what God is all about. And, and, And God is the one that has to define love. 
Not us, not, not the world, not, not what we think, but God is the one who defines what love is. And you'll notice in verse 4 through 7 that love is active. It's not just verbal, it is active. Which leads us back to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, where after John tells us in verse 7 and 8 who God is, he then tells us beginning in verse 9 what God did. And the reason that's important is because, again, John wants us to see, I can't say I love and not do something. Love will always lead me to do something, not just say something. It, it will motivate me. It will, it will burn in me until I act. So that's why John says in verse 9, By this, the love of God is revealed, manifested, out there in the open, visible for all to see. God didn't just yell down from heaven, in a voice that every human being could hear at some point, I love you. No, here's what he did. That God has sent His one and only Son into the world so that we may live through Him. Now notice also very subtly there that John is reminding us that Jesus, the Son of God, is God of very God. He's deity. He didn't just start to exist, as some people think, in Bethlehem as a baby. But that John reminds us God the Father sent His Son. He's always been the Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God. He's always existed. He existed like God the Father and God the, Son, or God the Spirit from eternity past. And so God the Father sent His one and only Son into the world. And here's why he did it. Notice at the end of verse 9. So that we may live through him. Well, there's a lot of people that are alive apart from Christ. Or at least their acknowledgement of it. Can't, can't somebody live apart from Christ? Well, technically no, because Jesus created them. But he's talking here about, again... Life on a higher plane. What he's saying is that when he sent Jesus into the world, he sent him for the express purpose of bringing what real life was to humanity. That, that part of the, the ache in God's heart was that as he looked down on humanity and saw how humanity was living, he realized they're not living at a level of life that I want them to live as God. In fact, incorporated in this Word is, is also the capacity to be able to enjoy life. In other words, again, one of the reasons why Jesus came was so that we might have abundant life, eternal life, life on a higher plane, a higher quality of life than those that don't have God. In fact, that's why eternal life doesn't start when I die and go to heaven. Eternal life starts for me the moment I accept Christ as my Savior. That's when eternal life starts for me. Because it is a quality of life, you see. And then he goes on to say that, that it's through that life too that I can truly, instead of just enduring life, 
And instead of going through life with this grim resignation and fatalism that I can truly face life and all of the difficulties and all of the circumstances with some kind of triumphant hope because I know that God has also given me the capacity to not only truly live, but to enjoy life. Enjoy life. Too too many of us as Christians have lost the joy of our salvation, the joy of knowing God, that that we have gotten so wrapped up with our struggles and our circumstances and whatever and got our eyes off of God and who God is and what God has done that we have not allowed Him at this moment in time to truly give us that life on that higher level that He really came to give us. And then He also reminds us about what God did is that God initiated it all, which is what love will do. Notice verse 10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. God didn't wait for Jeff Royce or anybody in human history to come to Him first and then go, okay, finally you get it. Finally you get you need me. Okay, now I'll reciprocate. No. God reached out to us. In fact, Paul says in Romans, even while we were sinners who wanted nothing to do with God, God was sending His Spirit into our lives, working on us even before we became a Christian to remind us that there is a God, there is an eternity, there is more to this life than what I've experienced up to this point. God loves me. He died for me. He wants to forgive me. He wants to give me a higher life. In fact, He wants me to experience the highest life I can experience on this side of heaven. This is what God did, and He did it out of initiating it to me. He reached out to me before I ever reached out to him. That's why sometimes in our relationships, as we model the nature and the DNA of God in us through his Holy Spirit, sometimes that means God wants us to initiate. He doesn't want us to sit back and wait for that person to come to us. He wants us to go to them. In fact, it's always been very interesting to me that if you read the Bible, you will never see anywhere in the Bible where God commands a person that doesn't know him to come to church. It's not in there. No, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, but God does command his people, his children, to go into all the world and make disciples. To take the love of Jesus And the love that we have for Jesus and for them out of this place to go out to our neighborhoods, out to where we work, out to our schools, out to our families, out to our friends, and to live and share with them the love of Jesus. To go. To go. Sometimes that also means that I also have to go back to some people in my life And if I truly love them and I'm modeling the love that God has taught me, I'm the one that initiates the, I'm sorry. I don't wait for them to come to me and apologize. And I'm the one that if the relationship is broken in some way, I become the person that initiates it. 
Because that's what God does. That's what love is. Sometimes love is what reaches out first. Love doesn't wait for the person sitting next to us to speak to us first and smile. Love stirs within us. I'm going to speak to them and smile at them first. That's what love does. And then, the end of verse 10, and He sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The propitiation. Literally in the Greek, it's the word halasmos. It it, it was talking about the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant where the high priest would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement and sprinkle the blood of sacrifices on the mercy seat as an atonement for sin. You see, because God is a holy God, He can't just wink at sin. He can't just pretend like it's not there. He's got to deal with it. And so He loved us so much that in order to maintain His holiness, God had to die. Because somebody had to pay for sin. And God loved us enough, Jesus loved us enough, that He stood up and said, I'll take the penalty. I'll pay for it. So that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21 So notice something else about sin. Sin isn't, or sin, love. Love isn't blind. God didn't stay up there in heaven and go, well, I don't see just bad stuff and I don't see all the sin. I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. No. He sent Jesus to deal with my sin and your sin and all the world's sin. Because again, love isn't blind. Love understands what's there, but love is willing to get in and deal with it. Sometimes as a pastor and for 25 years dealing with people in relationships and stuff, that, that, that's one of the downfalls. When things start going south and, and getting rocky and broken and whatever, we either, we just, we just sort of just back up and just, sometimes we don't know what to do, so we do nothing. That doesn't help. It doesn't solve anything. In fact, over time, it's just going to continue to deteriorate. And that's why God didn't sit up there in heaven and go, there's a problem down there on earth. Maybe one of those human beings is going to figure this out. No. He said, I got I to gotta go and rescue. I got to go and deliver. I got to do this. Because I love them too much to pretend like it's not there. But I also love them so much that I'm going to dive in and deal with it even though it's messy. I'm not going to just sit back and, oh, I can't get my hands dirty because I'm God. No, in fact, I'm going to be bleeding from head to toe. I'm going to have my beard plucked out, my hair plucked out. They're going to have scourged my back till it looks like hamburger. That's how much I love them. I'm willing to get down and dirty when it comes to love. But let me also say this. Because some of you, 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 you struggle with the fact that you so want to repair a relationship and you keep sort of looking at yourself as maybe I just need to do more. And if I just do more and I just do this better or whatever, that maybe, maybe the relationship will be okay. And, and, and you're always looking at you. 
I'm not saying that's wrong. I think we all need to sometimes evaluate, am I loving as God would want me to love? But there's also this principle that God reminds us of too. God went to unbelievable lengths to love on his creation of humanity on this earth, this spinning ball. And yet we know down through history that many people reject God's love. And we can't say, well, God, if you would have just loved them this way or that way or done it a little bit differently, then everybody in the world would have just fallen in love with you, God. No, I think my Bible clearly tells me God did everything and more to show human beings his love for them. It's not in that God could have done more. It's just that their heart wasn't in the right place at that moment, so they pushed it away. I think I need to say this to some of you in here. That maybe the relationship that you so want to see right is still wrong, not because of anything that you've done or could do any more than what you've already done, but you need to continue to love as God would love and still understand that you may do everything right and they still may reject you. Because they rejected Jesus. But that's what God did. And because of who God is and what God did, it comes to verse 11. Where then he turns the corner and says, so now here's what we must do. If this is who God is, that love is from God and that God is love and he defines what love is. And this is what God's love has done for all of humanity of all time. Then no wonder John writes in 1 John 4.11, dear friends, if God so loved us. I love that. He, he, John said he, he didn't just love us. He so loved us that we also, notice, ought to love one another. That there is an obligation. If I call myself a Christian, if I say that I am fathered by God and I have God's DNA in me through the Holy Spirit, that I know God, then I better be living a life of truly loving others. Because it's my obligation. It's what I ought to do. If I truly understand the love that God has shown me. But again, we've said in the mind before, part of the disconnect is bringing people to a proper understanding of the love that God has for them because they will hesitate. They will, they will not move out and truly give up their lives to love others because they haven't really, at, at this point in their life, truly understood God's love for them. And until you and I really begin to understand the depth, the length, the breadth, and the height of God's love for us, then it's going to be a struggle and extremely difficult to begin to love others. In fact, it's going to be nigh impossible at that point. But that's our obligation, folks. 
can't be any other way. If we call ourselves Christians and say that God is our Father and we are His children, we must love each other. And again, not loving each other the way we define love. Like, ooh, I got this ooey-gooey feeling in my stomach. I don't see that in 1 Corinthians. Because guess what? Sometimes God calls me to love when I don't feel like it. Even though the world defines love many times as feelings, love is primarily, and please hear that, I'm not saying it's not at all a feeling or emotion, because we all know when we're in love or when we're in a relationship where there's love, yes, there's emotions and there's feelings, but that better not be the foundation and primary motivation. Because even in the best of marriages, there are days where we all get up as spouses and go, I don't feel like being married to you today. (laughs) But God calls me to love you. So I'm going to love you today. There are days as Christians where we don't feel like loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, we've talked about this before. Some brothers and sisters in Christ are really hard to love. But God is not asking us to wait till we feel like loving them, but to step out in faith and love, not by this thing that we can somehow muster up inside of ourselves, but just by being obedient to the Holy Spirit and letting God take over our lives and letting Him love through us. That's why He can command it. See, God couldn't command it if it was up to us. Because God knows we don't have the capacity or resource to be able to love at all times. But now that I'm a Christian... Now that I have the Holy Spirit indwelling me at all times 24-7, all I have to do now is yield to the Holy Spirit and I can love. Because God reminds me in Romans 5-5 that God has poured out His love to us through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In fact, that's even why in verse 13 John reminds us, by this we know that we reside in God and He in us and that He's given us of His Spirit. And in this context, John is reminding us we have the capacity to love like this because we've been given the Holy Spirit of God and if we yield to the Holy Spirit of God, if we live in the Spirit, if we walk in the Spirit, as the New Testament commands us to do as Christians, we can love because it's supernatural. It is letting God take over my life and loving through me. Not waiting around till I feel like it. And then verse 12. John has talked to us about who God is and what God did and what we, what me, what we must do. And then in verse 12, he tells us why we must do it. He says, no one has seen God at any time. Now let's stop there for a moment. Because this is a good lesson in biblical interpretation. If I read that at face value, no one has seen God at any time, I've got a problem, right? Because Jesus is God. People saw Jesus. So didn't they see God? So I, I can't then land on the interpretation that he's talking about saying seeing Jesus and that Jesus somehow isn't God. So that's where our study comes in. That's where we've got to dig a little deeper with phrases and verses like this to see 
what does it mean so that it doesn't clearly contradict other verses and passages of Scripture? Because people saw Jesus and Jesus is God. So then what's he mean by no man has seen God at any time? Two things I'll throw out for your consideration. One is that he could be saying that, yes, we physically saw Jesus, but we didn't see God in all of his glory. That when we saw Jesus, yes, we saw God, but no human being in history has ever seen God in all of his splendor and glory. Even those people that God revealed himself to, it was just snapshots. It was just snippets of his glory. When he showed his glory to Moses in the Old Testament, it was through a burning bush and it was just a little bit of his glory because the Bible says no man can see the glory of God in its totality and live. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus sort of unveiled his glory a little bit and, and in a sense took back that human flesh and allowed three of his disciples to see just a little bit of his glory. It was just a little bit. So it could be that John is saying that what I meant was we've seen God through Jesus while he was here on earth, but no human being has really ever seen God as God really is. The other possibility is that he's talking about perception. Because the words seen and perceive are very close in the Greek language. And he could even be saying here that though we saw God and though people experienced God, well, again, as human beings, because of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, that we just know in part, then we will know fully, but now we just know in part that we can't totally perceive God, we only get glimpses or snapshots because we can't totally take it all in at this point. And the reason I sort of lean there is because of the context. The context is calling us to love. And here's why I think we must love. Not just because it's our divine obligation because if we say we're related to God, then we need to be manifesting the nature of God if we're one of his children, his DNA. But I think he's also saying, beginning in verse 12, that God calls us to love. Because out there, for those that don't know God, that as they look at our lives, when we love as God loves, they may be able to get a little snapshot a little glimpse of God and who He is and what He's all about when they look at us. Think about that. That's why He goes on to say in verse 12, if we love one another, God resides in us and people can see God through us when we love. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, by this, this love, all men will know that you're my disciples because of that kind of love. See, they will be able to see me through the way you treat each other. That's 
That's profound, that's sobering, that's stunning. And yet that's why God leaves us behind when we do become a Christian and doesn't just zap us to heaven. Because he wants to use our lives and our love and the way we live our lives to show snapshots and glimpses of who he is to other people. Because let's face it, there are many people out there in this world. What's the one thing they're looking for? Love. They're dying for love. They'll do almost anything for love. And the way they're seeking love is the way the world tells them this is love. They've, they've allowed the world's definition of love to focus on. That's why they go to such extreme lengths to do all kinds of crazy things to try to find love. Isn't it sad? Here's the God of the universe who actually loves them more than they'll ever know and there's nothing or no one that could ever love them more than God does and yet they bypass His love and try to look for love as the song says in all the wrong places. But here's the thing. If we know that this world is truly looking for love and that many of even the ills of society, the crime, the violence, the dysfunction, I mean, you just go on and the broken relationships is all about people who are really just looking for love, then how much more of an obligation or motivation do we need as Christians to get out there in the world and begin to show people what love really is. So that maybe they begin to get glimpses and snapshots and small perceptions of God through us and the way we live that might then continue to draw them not to us, but to our God who is the only one that can truly fill them up with His love and truly bring satisfaction and fulfillment on a level that you and I or no one or nothing else in this world can ever bring to them. I think that's why it's so important. Notice, in fact, he goes on to say in verse 12, if we love one another, God resides in us and His love is perfected in us. It simply means that His love is coming to the goal that God intended for it. It's coming to completion. It's coming to fruition. That when you and I truly love like God does, that's exactly what God had in mind when He sent Jesus to give us life and to become the atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is nothing I believe that pleases and warms the heart of God more when He can look down from heaven and see His children living lives of love and laying down their lives for others, just as Jesus did for us. That's what it's all about. That's why he goes on in verse 13 to say, By this we know then that we reside in God and He in us, and that He's given us of His Spirit. And we know we're on the same page with God and in fellowship with God, because we're one with His Spirit. His Spirit may be telling me to love this person, and I'm going, "Uh uh-uh. But His Spirit's going to work on me and going to move me to the point where I I just got to keep loving that person. But there also may come a time, as I said earlier, where the Spirit may say, you've done everything you can do, Jeff. 
it's not you of why this relationship is broken still. It's them. Because remember me, nobody ever loved more perfectly than I did, and yet I faced more rejection because of my love than anybody, any human being will ever know. You know, we bemoan and, and cry and everything over how we've been rejected. At the most, maybe we've been rejected even, I don't know, a hundred times? Maybe that's a lot. Maybe it's not so much. I don't know. But compared to God over history of the world, how many human beings have rejected his love? And oh, yeah, by the way, he also created them. So that even puts more of a dagger in the rejection. And verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Therefore, if anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God resides in him and he in God. See, confession is important as well to God. As far as not only loving God, but staying on the same page and in fellowship with God, which is the overarching theme of 1 John. That's why Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, how can we be in fellowship? That's why, can I just, and we're doing this this Sunday at Cornerstone, public baptism. I think baptism is important for a Christian. Because it's a way for us to stand up in public and say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of following Christ. I'm not ashamed of being a child of God. I'm here to tell the world I love Jesus. Come put me under the water. That's why I've got to be willing to confess. And then verse 16, we'll, we'll let it go with this. This is important. And we have come to know the love that God has in us. I want to take that first. Because that word know in the original language is knowledge by close experience. Again, it, it isn't a head knowledge or just I know about God. It's I know God on that personal level because I walk with God every day. Just like I have a relationship with this friend. And so throughout the years, I've known more and more about my friend. And, and, and we can almost complete each other's sentences. And we know what each other is thinking without ever saying it. It's that kind of closeness that we have in human relationships. And we can have that same kind of closeness with God spiritually. If we continue to walk with Him in fellowship. But I love this. Notice he also says, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has in us. Because God understands we usually as human beings don't trust somebody until we get to know them and know that they can be trusted. So God says, come, let's get to know each other. God has no problem totally being transparent, revealing everything about himself to us. Because he knows that there's nothing that if we truly, truly want to find God and know him better, that there's nothing we're ever going to discover about God that we go, oh, I've got I've to walk away from God. It's going to be just the opposite. That the more we know God as he's revealed in the Bible, the more we're going to, going to want to know God even more. And the more we know God, we're also going to trust him. Because we're, we're, we're never going to discover anything about God that's going to cause us 
to not trust. In fact, it's going to be just the opposite. The more I know God, and the more I come to know the love that God has for me, that He truly, truly has my best interest at heart, then I'll believe in Him more. I will trust in Him more. I will surrender my will to Him more. I won't fight Him so much because I'll know, I know. I know my God so well, He's never going to lead me down the wrong path. He's never going to lead me to defeat. Anything God allows me to go through in my life is to make me stronger. Now I will say this, and I remind myself of this, and I tell others this in my Bible studies. Again, to let God define love. God's love is not a pampering love, it's a perfecting love. God loves me, but He doesn't pamper me. Because God wants me to become more like Jesus Christ. So when God loves on me and loves me, it's always to bring about more of Jesus in me. So that then He can send me out there into the world to those who have no concept of God. At least a correct concept of God. And who are so searching for love in their lives. And He can send us as His children into this world with such a great responsibility to be able to share glimpses and snapshots of God Himself because He, through His Spirit, resides in us and people can literally see God through us when we love. Wow. God trusts us that much? With that kind of responsibility? Yeah, He does. Does he get burned? Yeah, he does. Because sometimes we as Christians go out there in the world and start hammering on others and gossiping and hating and all that kind of stuff and anger and ugh, and it gets ugly. And then people look at our lives and go, I don't want to be part of that. But when you and I go out under the control and in the power of the Holy Spirit and let God love through us. Folks, God designed it this way. I didn't. God said, then people will see me in you. There was a song years ago that was written. Can't remember the guy's name now. Colin Ray. You're the only Jesus. Some may ever see. Great song. You're the only Jesus. Some may ever see. That's why we must love. We're going to end a little bit differently tonight. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The the Bible clearly tells us Love isn't primarily a feeling or an emotion. So this tonight wasn't about trying to stir us up or anything like that. Because that's not sustainable. And it's not primarily about talking about loving. Because it's great to verbalize our love and affection for others. But when it comes right down to it, it's about action. What are we going to do about it? So I want to leave for all of us tonight, including myself, the challenge that when we leave this place tonight, 
when we leave this place tonight, are we okay with saying to God, God, I'm going to make a commitment to let you love through me, to truly love on somebody. Maybe even tonight, I need to, you have moved me. I I see a face. I see a name. I see somebody that the Spirit of God is saying, I have got to initiate. I've got to reach out to. I've got to love this person. And I'm just asking all of us, would we just be obedient to the stirrings and promptings of the Spirit of God in our lives and not just talk about it and not just get all stirred up in here tonight about it, but to truly leave this campus tonight saying, God, I'm going to go love that person. I may not even feel like it, but I'm going to do it. That's how I know you reside in me because I'm doing stuff I could never do on my own, but I could only do with your help. There's something else I'd like to ask us to do. Even though this isn't a mind-mingle night and we're not hanging around to maybe share how important we all are to each other and how much you guys mean to me, but I would like us to begin to at least think about that. So I'm going to ask that all of us would stand here tonight. Eric's going to close us in a song. And I know this is going to be a little bit of a logistical, maybe nightmare, but I'd, I'd like in some way for all of us across this auditorium to just come together and hold hands through, through aisles. You don't have to try to like make some big kumbaya circle or something, but just, just come together. And here's why I think this is important, folks. The love really starts here. If we can't truly love each other in this room, how are we going to ever take it outside this room? We've got to start loving on each other here and we've got to make the mind not just some place where people can come and study the Bible and, and learn stuff out of the Bible. We've got to become the Bible. We've got to let the love of God start changing our lives and our relationships right here. And we've got to begin to look at the people even in this room a little bit differently and say, God, thank you for them. Thank you for them. And I I just want us to come together tonight and sing about the love that God has for us. And as we sing this song to God, let's also sing it as also unto each other that God has so loved us, we ought to love one another.